0: from the nation's capital this is the fly fishing consultant podcast with your host rob snowett
1: This is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob Snow White. For the next hour, I'm going to be your host. I want to give a quick shout out to my roommate from college, Gary Willis. I bumped into him recently at the boat ramp. Haven't seen him in about 18 years. It was good to see Gary and he's got a bass boat with a bigger outboard than mine. So we are trying to go on in his boat soon. This episode is all about Cortland Lined and Brooks Robinson. Brooks works in public relations for the Cortland Lined Company. Founded in 1915, we'll discuss everything from Cortland's classic to modern fly lines, R&D for catching exotic species around the planet, Cortland's new tipping material, and a new line of rods and reels. This episode is brought to you by Traeger. Traeger brings unrivaled wood-fired flavor to the table, unlocking your food's true potential. No matter which grill you select, Traeger's six-in-one ability. Means you can grill, smoke, bake, roast, braise, and barbecue with pure hardwood flavor. And to hear a little bit more about Traeger, we're going to hear from Rob from down the street. Not that, Rob, the other one.
2: Hi, this is Rob Martin from Rutherford, one of the hundreds of Robs at the Rutherford pool you've heard so much about on the Rob Snow White podcast. My Traeger grill has changed cooking for me permanently. Everything I've cooked, I can no longer cook using any other method. With over a 1,000 recipes on the Traeger app, I use my Traeger more than my oven, with everything cooked to perfection. No lighter fluid taste. With football season fast approaching, my Traeger is going to be put to good use. You won't regret switching to Traeger. Hello, meat sweats.
1: All right, so we have Brooks Robinson with us, not the baseball player. Correct. And you are in Cortland, New York today? Yes, yes, sir, Cortland, New York. And you work for a company called Cortland. Cortland Line. Yeah. For those who've never met you, say, at a fly show at the booth, what's your celebrity doppelganger? My celebrity doppelganger?
2: People uh, ever tell
1: you you look like somebody? Because people did, Google they, Brooks Robinson, they're going to come up with the Oriole.
2: Yeah, he's he's an old-school baseball player from, like, the 80s. Uh, he was a third baseman. I think he's a Hall of Famer, actually. I do have 10 or 12 of his baseball cards. I have his autograph. However, I played lacrosse in college, so I got a lot of crap for having that name playing lacrosse. But growing up in central New York, you, you really don't have a choice but to play lacrosse. So as far as a doppelganger goes... Is that how you say that? Doppelganger. Doppelganger. You know, yeah, years ago, but then the last three years, I lost all the, the hair on my head. So anybody that I look like three years ago, I don't look like them anymore. <laughs> Lex Luthor? Yeah, something like that. I, you know what? When I have no hair on my head here in about another 18 months, maybe someone will will say I look like somebody different. You're going to get colder now up there. Uh, It's, you know... I'm used to. it. I've been living up here for thirty two years. You just you just get used to it, right. So what you got you into fly fishing? Fly fishing. So I grew up on a small lake in upstate New York. Uh, you know, I always grew up spin fishing, crappy fishing, bass fishing and whatnot. But uh, my grandfather was the head football coach at Cortland State. And he was always into fly fishing. There was always fly gear laying around. So, uh, yeah, just ended up picking it up, you know, when I was a young teenager. And then I would always go to the Salmon River with my father. And I got really into fly fishing uh, through high school, um, just going up there for salmon and steelhead. And, you know, just transferred back to the lake that I grew up on. And it's just, man, there's so many different parts of fly fishing that interest me. And uh, it's always different depending on the species you go after, depending on the rivers you go on. And it's just, it's just a huge challenge. And uh, I I really enjoy the challenge no matter what I'm I'm
1: going out to target. So the word at the bar down here in Virginia yesterday was the salmon have, have entered the river. Yeah. So there's always...
2: A, a couple fish that come in early and it gets everybody fired up and rightly so because it is uh an incredible place to be when it happens but yeah there was uh, a customer down in the private section on the lower end of the river uh caught one i think it was august 11th and then he went back the next day and caught another one so it's you know every year we get onesie twosies to start off but uh the weather's cooled off here a little bit the nights are a little cooler we would really just need you know a little bit more time some more crazy wind directions on the lake and a pulse of water to grab those that first group of fish that wants to come up
1: we've had a super dry summer after two to three years of absolute rain it hasn't really rained here in about three weeks so it's really crunchy on the ground the streams are trickling. There's not a whole lot of tailwater water coming over any dams around here. Have right, right. you guys gotten any rain? Uh, it's
2: been ideal, actually. The rain we've gotten has helped things uh, stay up as far as the reservoir levels uh, for the Salmon River and also for the tailwaters down on the Delaware we had a really good spring with rain. So it kind of carried into the summer there's no issues of drought going on here. Um, I'd say it's, it's, it's on par everything. The grass is green, uh, nothing's bone dry. So it's pretty normal to say the least.
1: I'm not complaining that I haven't had to mow the lawn in two and a half weeks.
2: Yeah. I just, you know what, at this point, I just keeping the weeds down out of my yard, the grass stopped growing back in July, but, uh, yeah, it's uh it's definitely a, a treat being a homeowner trying to manage the
1: grass, working full time, and being on the road. So, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, and so you mentioned you went to school up there. Have you always lived in the central western New York area?
2: Yeah, actually, I was born in Cortland, New York. Uh, I grew up about 10 minutes north in Tully, New York, on a small lake. I went to school in Syracuse to uh, Onondaga Community College and LeMoyne College. And then I started working for Cortland almost right out of college. So, yeah, I'd say for 32 years, I pretty much lived in the same place.
1: And Cortland's got <clears throat> quite the history. Do you want to go over some of that for the people that don't know? Just small business and how yeah. they've changed fly lines, which most people might not be aware of.
2: Yeah, so Cortland... Uh, it was founded in 1915 as a sporting goods company but then for world war ii all the braiders that we have here at the Cortland facility uh started uh supporting world war ii with Parachute rope, uh, bomb cord, candle wick, shoelace, boot lace. And then after that uh, was over, they switched back to sporting goods. So we've been making braid, uh, braided silk fly lines and uh, our own cores, you know, really right through, uh, you know, 1915 and on. So, you know, the braiders were, were really how it started as the braided silk lines go. And then uh, with the advent of the PVC lines and the tapered PVC lines, you know, through the 50s and 60s. Uh, right up through, you know, the the new higher quality lines that we started to build uh, in the 70s and 80s with the Peach and the SL, the clear camos, um, and right through the 90s and all the way up till now with liquid crystals and clear floating fly lines. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's evolved over a hundred years. You know, really it started, you know, back back in World War II with, with the war and, and, and all the effort that they had put in with, with the braid and you know switching back over to the sporting goods side with the fly line and the
1: braided fishing line, and the four 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 line has pretty much been on the market for fifty plus years now. Y- yeah, fifty plus years, probably close to sixty.
2: But yeah, that has been a staple for Cortland for a long time, and uh, just really built on quality, uh, performance, and you know we haven't changed anything with that, and people really appreciate you know the high floating true line size and durability.
1: You know, and that we've obviously prided ourselves on that for a long time as well. And how do you develop your lines? I, I'm guessing you get to go out and fish a bunch. But where's uh, – so, uh, there's, yeah. there's trends now with two-handed <laughs> casting. So you guys are figuring and developing that out. Do you have a lab where this gets thought up?
2: Does yeah, you know computers? absolutely. We, we have, you know, our front office here where I'm located right now, and the plant sits on the other side of the wall for me. Uh, we have a great product development team uh, here at Cortland, and we really, uh, really rely on a lot of our advisors and our ambassadors that are, you know, all over the world and all over the country. But you're right, as far as trends goes, you know, two-handed fishing, euro-nymphing, uh, streamer fishing, you know, and then all the different species that people are targeting, uh, you know, in the jungles and so saltwater. saltwater, man, you know, some of these trends, they're, they're hard to keep up with, but they're really fun to build lines for. You know, stuff like bigger cores, stronger cores, uh, you know, that can withstand the pressure of uh, some of these really big fish that these guys are going out and targeting, you know, right down to the really small stream stuff uh, for grayling and, you know, into the Euro stuff. It's it's a variety of things that guys are getting into now, but it it makes it a lot of fun to develop products for. And uh, you get to
1: meet a lot of cool people in a lot of different uh, parts of the world along the way. So there's a lot of the Euro-Nymphers that listen. Can you explain to the non-Euro-Nymphers the the dynamics of what that line is and and how it's developed and how it's made for that type of fishing?
2: Yeah, really, the Euro-Nymph fly lines, um, we we really build them to be uh, small, thin, and and just basically built without a lot of grain weight. Um, You know, your standard lines, your weight forward threes, fours, and fives, there's a lot of grain weight um, when that's out of your rod tip. And what that does is it creates sag. And uh, the Euro Nymph lines are super light. Most of them are level, they're very thin, down to 22 thousandths of an inch. And what that does is it eliminates the sag and it helps you come in contact with your flies much more um, effectively than a regular way forward line. So you'll be able to det- detect bites uh, much easier. And really it, it, it helps the the whole process of tight lining and being in contact with your nymphs. So it's, it's much different, you know, than, than your standard weight forward lines and and the whole technique and the application. But man, is it a lot of fun to, to catch fish Euro nymphing? It's a, uh, it's definitely a numbers game. It's not for everybody, but we, we love doing it. And it seems that, uh, you know, the whole U S market and Euro market, um,
1: it's, it's really
2: catching on, and it's a lot of fun to be a part of.
1: Now, What about some of those big jungle lines? What are they designed to do? You know,
2: it, uh, the jungle line, first of all, it's got to withstand the heat. You know, so you have to build a harder, slicker line uh, that's not going to get soft and wilt on you in the heat. And it's got to be durable, uh, a lot of trees, a lot of rocks, you know, you know, you're, you're fishing in some pretty dirty water at times or, uh, you know, basically between giant jungle tarpon, dorado, arapaima. I mean, the, the list goes on, but they demand a s- extremely strong core and a super durable line. Um, and you know, you gotta be a good caster to get some of these fish. So at the same time, you gotta build a line with the, uh, a proper taper that can deliver a large fly, but something that's comfortable in your hands for, you know, eight, nine, 10
1: hours during the day. Do those lines, what, what's the breaking strength? I always have clients ask me, what's the poundage on your fly line? I'm like, I don't know.
2: So it's going to vary, you know, like your trout lines will be anywhere from, you know, 12 to 20 pounds, 25 pounds up through some of your bigger salmon steelhead and smaller saltwater stuff between 20 and 30 Um, You know, your tarpon lines will be around 30, 35, and then the jungle lines, we step up to uh, a 50-pound braided nylon core. And what the braided nylon uh, does is it has much less memory than a monocore at 50 pounds, and it's way more durable. So it's much more forgiving as far as the memory goes. And it, the, the durability, uh, especially when you, you get into coral and stuff like that for GT fishing, it's it's definitely wanted uh, versus a mono core line. So you know it's going to vary from species to species. Um, you know the biggest thing is uh, those those jungle lines, those GT lines, and those tuna lines is they just got to be able to withstand the heat you're going to put on that fish. And sometimes those fish, they'll put their own heat on the line with how hard they'll run sideways. Um, they, they really demand everything you got putting in a line and both you you as the angler uh it's it's tough you know you're talking 30 minute fights 45 minute
1: fights um they're they're brutal how long does it take for product testing before you can release a line how many gts have to be broken off before you go and reconfigure the chemistry or the dynamics of your line
2: i'll I'll use that that's a good example using that line because that did take quite a long time to develop you know the first thing is it has to be the season that you're developing a line for in order to test it so sometimes those things only come around a couple months out of the year maybe it's uh you know six months out of the year luckily with gts is you can target them almost all year around depending on where you're going Okay. But, yeah, the biggest thing was narrowing down the core uh, for that line, something that uh, was strong enough, that was durable, um, was comfortable to cast, that didn't retain a lot of memory. Um, we have a great crew uh And relationship with the Alphonse Island guys, uh, Keith Rose, Jocko, you know, guys like Devon. And those guys are just uh, extreme on their gear. So, you know, when we built that line, we really relied on those guys being in the middle of the Indian Ocean to put it to the test. And that they did for, you know, a good six to eight months during their one season. You know, we really, you know, that line takes uh, probably probably close to 18 months to really dial that thing in. But they were an instrumental part of putting that together. Uh, sometimes you get lucky and lines come together much quicker than that. Sometimes it takes longer than that. really depends on what you're aiming for and what you're trying to do. Uh, that line had a lot of specific features that we had to hit. And luckily we did that and it's, it's done extremely well for us. You know, if you got a good uh, advisory team and a good field testing team, it makes life a lot easier. And we really rely on those guys.
1: Have you ever had a report from the field where somebody used a fly line for something out there in the middle of the Indian ocean where it wasn't intended? I've used fly lines for shoelaces before. Has anybody had to repurpose them for some kind of survival thing? Got you some crazy stories?
2: You know, uh, not that I know of, but I have one myself. Uh, I really wanted to keep a fish one day on the Salmon River, as crazy as that sounds. I was younger. I just started working here, and I didn't have a stringer. But my fly line was so beat up, I said, you know what? I'm going to cut the back end of this fly line off and use it as a stringer. I brought it to the fillet station, and the guy said, "That's the most expensive stringer I've ever seen." I'm like, "You have no idea, dude." So, uh, no, I, you know, nobody else but me personally. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of a bonehead move to keep a fish and then not have a stringer to haul it out about a quarter of a mile. So, I, I don't keep fish anymore because I'm tired of keeping them. <laughs> it's it's an option if you're if you're in a pickle
1: what about the clear lines? How did that get developed? I know there's some trade secrets, but I've got one of the liquid crystals and it's, it's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. Those lines are incredible and they've done really well for us, uh, especially down in Florida, you know, for the, the, the tarpon fishing in the keys, uh, those fish are just extremely tough. They're extremely spooky. They've been fished to a lot and, uh, they're old man and they're just smart. So, Developing a clear floating fly line, you know, even for that area was extremely important. You know, they're built out of polyethylene. Uh, Most of our lines are built out of PVC, but the uh, clear liquid crystals are built out out of polyethylene. Uh, They're extremely durable. They're gin clear. They float extremely well, and uh, really dialing in the hardness and the monocore uh, within that to find the right stiffness, something that's not too stiff, something that's not too soft. That line, that was one of the lines uh, that that took the longest as far as to development. But uh, I think we nailed it, and, uh, man, the, the, the sales are great. The people appreciate it, and, and the, the hardcore tarpon guys, uh, they love it um but you know it really transfers over all the way in through you know the winter redfish when the water gets cold and the water gets clear the fish gets spooky um does really great for redfish bonefish um we use it up here the flats for striped bass uh and cape cod and the long island sound um you know up here in the summertime 75 80 85 degrees it's perfect for that uh tropic style line so it has a lot of uses uh you know outside the saltwater stuff but that's really what it's geared toward geared towards and uh you know it does
1: really well for us has anyone ever complained that it could be too clear Uh, yeah, all the time. And, uh... Sometimes I'm worried I'm going to be cutting part of my leader, and it's the fly line. The
0: 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to midwayusa.com.
2: No, it's, uh, it, it is extremely clear. And, you know, a lot of the guys, uh, you know, they say they can't see it. And, uh, listen, it's not for everybody. The most important thing you have to understand with most of your saltwater fishing is it's sight fishing. And even when you're tarpon fishing, you bone fishing, you permit fishing, you're seeing your fish, and you want to see your fly land. Uh, you know, good anglers will see their fly land. They're never going to look at their fly line. For some guys, they, they really need to see the end of their fly line, and maybe that line's not for them. But, you know, the guys that are really dialed in, hardcore anglers that can see their fly land, they can see the fish react to the fly, that's the most important thing. Um, so, yeah, we get that from time to time, but uh, it's, it's normal. You know, a full, clear, floating, gin-clear fly line, it's just – some guys want to see it and some guys don't
1: yeah i like to see it except when uh i make, make that mistake and, I, and that's why i always double check i need like a second set of eyes before i'm going to cut a leader section Yeah, exactly. I know, you know, that, that line does really well. It's
2: tough for uh, a guide and a client mix on a boat because the guide really likes to see the fly line and, and, uh, see where that is. If you have a great angler, you know, that, that relationship isn't as important, but when a, when a guide is really talking to his client and, uh, relying on seeing that fly line, you know, to see where his fly landed, that's where, uh, you know, we make we make colored versions of the liquid crystal as well with the guide taper and the uh, sky blue liquid crystal. So we we do we do offer the same uh, technology in the PE line uh, in a colored version. So if you really love that clear line and uh, you need to see it, we have those as well.
1: What about I don't know if you guys still make it. There was a line made for old bamboo rods so it would go through the guides yes you still make that yeah the 444 classic
2: silk line and that is really built to mimic the old silk lines it's uh much thinner in diameter so it goes through the smaller guides on uh bamboo and glass rods uh it's a true line size it's a long front taper you know it's not built to throw big giant streamers it's really as, as built for classic rods. So that line does really well. Uh the color looks like the old silk lines. Um, you know, we we do really well with that with the bamboo and glass guys. But yeah, it is it is specifically built to uh be a little thinner and help go through those smaller guides much better.
1: When you were making silk lines, were you importing the silkworm? Man, you know that was uh or were you raising them. That was long
2: before I was born. I wish I had the answer to that. Unfortunately, I can't answer that i could I'll follow up on uh, on that with you though um I'm sure the answer is somewhere here
1: in the plant. Do you guys have a like, a room of relics yeah old, like the, the, the attic of goonies just all sorts of old stuff in there yeah, you should see this
2: place it's uh it, it's a uh, and it's not a small room either like I said we've been around since nineteen fifteen so man the history that's in this room it would blow your mind some of the pictures of uh some famous people you know at the Cortland plant fishing with Cortland employees you know just all the old stuff we used to make some of the old machines the the front door to the old plant back in the 30s and 40s is in there it's it's incredible and uh someday we'll get all that stuff out for people to see because there is a lot of history there and uh it's neat man if you're in fly fishing and uh taking a look at some of the stuff to see the progression of the sport over 100 years it's it's really
1: incredible and back then i mean there was it was pretty much trout people were fishing for was that kind of it i mean there wasn't the, the yeah. fisheries hadn't been developed yet you're right Basic you know most most of it was trout you know some lake
2: fishing uh you know some of those lines when they first started were were level lines and uh not that you can't cast a level line today you know some some real basic stuff back in the day and uh and then once you know the saltwater fishing started taking off lines uh they just demanded more out of the lines and it just you know really progressed from there
1: do you have some of your own favorite lines and fishing situations you use them in yeah, that clear liquid crystal is
2: probably my all-time favorite. Um, I don't get to travel down to, to to Florida or the or the coast too much down here there to do use I. it. Yeah, but when I do, that line has uh, been a huge success for me. You know, I, I'll, I'll fish every every trout line we make up here, both for testing in certain situations, but uh, those clear liquid crystals. Uh, they got a special place in my heart just because of the tarpon I've been able to land on them, and the redfish, and uh, you know some snook, and uh, they're just they're incredible, man. I, I I got one of those in my truck at all
1: times just in case. What are you driving? Uh, a Toyota Tacoma. Do you have personalized fishing plates? Uh, I do not, but
2: they came with personalized fishing plates that said "fly fish" because the guy I bought it off with was a few, uh, huge fish head ph fish head yeah those those went back to him uh i'm not a personalized licensed guy i do have a fish sticker on my truck that i'm not too proud of because everyone knows it's my truck so i try to i try to keep a little profile on that thing if i can yeah you just don't want to advertise you've got expensive gear in your car yeah that's uh especially with the places i park around here um you're you're really asking for it you know and uh Listen, it, it is what it is, but uh, yeah, I'm not one for for
1: stickers and personalized license plates. Like I need to cover my car with knitting and crochet stuff, and then no one will look in my car when I park. Yeah, I don't know what the key to that success
2: is, but uh, there's there's definitely uh, something that you can do to deter those people. Luckily, uh, you know the places here in upstate New York where I fish a lot; of the people
1: are great, and uh, it's just it's it's not an issue. Do y'all have a body of water that you go test near? Isn't there like a stream that runs right by you? Yeah, that's great
2: for, you know, casting, warm water fish. Um, we're lucky to have the Delaware. It's an hour from where I'm sitting right now. The Salmon River is, you know, uh, about an hour from where we're sitting right now as well. Um... Both those rivers are really nice for salmon, steelhead, two-handed stuff, uh, right down to every kind of trout line you can imagine for streamer fishing, Euro nymph and dry fly fishing, and and whatnot. So, you know, and then the lakes up here we have a ton of lakes uh, that offer a, a lot of different species. So. Really, the testing, you know, it's its its endless on what we can do up here, which is extremely nice. And then in the summertime, you know, going down to the salt water, you know, it's really nice to test those lines as well. But uh, like I said, you know, as far as the, you know, the saltwater stuff goes and the tropic stuff goes, we we really rely on our team, and uh, they've been an instrumental part of, of making those lines really good.
1: Now, I want to go back to the two-handed stuff because that seems to be one of the fastest-growing you originally there were just big fat heads that could launch stuff and then it's become more and more evolved over the last couple of years maybe 10 to 15 sure how is for sure that you know you guys are close to places where you can two-hand fish like the salmon river so how much um, influence has has fishing up there had on the development r&d in your lines
2: well, uh, up there a little bit, and, you know, the biggest thing with the two-handed fishing is uh, it, it's it's all over the world, really, and it's going to vary from country to, you know, the guys up in uh, Norway and Russia to the people in uh, the Miramichi in Canada right over to British Columbia in the Pacific Northwest. You know, each place requires something different. Uh, the rivers are set up different, the fish are different, uh, the flies that you use are different. Um, Some place requires, you know, long floating lines, long leaders. Other places are shorter heads and heavy sink tips. Um, you know it, it, it's going to vary from place to place and uh the most important thing is that you know you really have guys in each one of those areas that let you know uh, you know what is needed and wanted so the salmon river uh is nice it's 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 wide it's slow it's deep it's fast it's shallow it's got really you know everything it's got it's going to throw at you so it's you, you can test a wide range of two-handed lines up there um you know, but that that really has you know a, a small part in in what we do when when we think about that application.
1: And if somebody is going to say the Pacific Northwest or Norwegian Fishing Club or the Arctic Circle or something, how do they get a hold of someone at your building to find out the best line to match where they're going? Do you have so you, them contact the people there, or yeah, should they so, contact you?
2: so if someone reaches out to us you know we have people in those places that we'll set them up with you know really you want to use their expertise they're there every single day they live it and they breathe it so um you know i always suggest reaching out to those guides and lodges um if they happen to get a hold of us for for those we'll set them up with those people in those areas um you know things change from year to year uh in certain parts uh of the world and, and certain fisheries so what what worked last year might not work this year because they they might be in a drought versus a flood so it's it's going to vary and it's going to change every year but yeah we uh we're lucky like i said to have a nice team you know all over the world that we
1: can help customers out with uh, those types of questions and you mentioned you had a beat up line that you used for a stringer when should somebody replace the line and, and upgrade to something new usually
2: you know it really it really depends on how much you're fishing and, you know, if you're fishing every single day for, you know, 200 days a year uh, for trout, it's going to be different than if you're fishing almost 200 days a year for salmon steelhead. The stress fish put on a line is going to vary. The tip that you use is going to vary how much stress is put on that line. For example, you know, if you're fishing 6X dry flies, uh, versus twelve pound fluorocarbon leader material, there's more stress on on, on that heavier line with with the heavier tippet. So, you know, it's going to vary as far as usage, but um, you know, you'll you'll start to see. You know, a degrade in the fly line, uh, whether it becomes a little softer or sticky, or maybe there's some cracking, maybe you see a lot of dirt on it. We always suggest, you know, cleaning your fly line with a silicone lubricant, fresh water, wiping it down, keeping it dry, uh, keeping it out of, you know, a, a moisture type area where it's going to get uh, hot and cold, uh, dry, wet. And, uh, you know, the back of your car is not a great place for that. So, you know, the longer and the better you take care your fly line the better it's going to treat you so you know as far as when to get rid of your fly line and grab a new one listen if you've been fishing a line really hard for year two or three and it's just not performing the way you want it and it's got some cracks and ding it you know treat yourself to a new fly line you're going to be glad that you did
1: that what about backing should people be swapping backing out after a certain amount of time and dunks into the water and just use and abuse yeah, you know,
2: backing is one of those things. Sometimes people never see the backing. Uh, sometimes guys see the backing. Almost every fish, whether you're tarpon fishing or not, um, dacron backing does need to get changed out a little bit over time, depending on how much moisture, how much time it's been soaked, uh, how you've handled it. But you know, the gel spun backing, the spectra fiber backing, that stuff is pretty indestructible. It can stay on a reel for quite some time. Uh, if you're going into your backing a lot, and uh, you're going to want to check for nicks and burrs, whether it's rocks or core. And whatnot, you know, and you're going to have to swap it out if you get some damage there. But, you know, the the, the micron backing that we make, uh, extremely durable. Um, man, it's it's a 12 carrier backing, super smooth. It is a super quality backing for a dacron, so it's going to last you. Man, uh you know, just as long, if not longer, than your than your fly line. Like I said, the more times you dunk it and the improper storage, it's going to degrade that material a little bit more. But the higher price you pay for backing with the Spectra and the gel spun
1: stuff, it's going to last on your reel much longer. Yeah, I've got some backing that's at least from the last century on a lot of my reels. Yeah, and you know
2: what? If 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 that. Backing's not seeing daylight because the fish are catching are pretty small, then it's fine. But um, when it matters, you're going to be glad that you have some fresh backing
1: on there. Indeed. And I'm glad there's colors of backing. It used to just be white. Yeah, it's getting, uh, dingy and turn brown it's it's getting out
2: of control what people are really wanting for colors but like i said it makes it fun to develop those those ideas and those colors and more companies are coming out with more colorful reels um it's awesome man but people want to you know do up two three four colors on their reel and uh, we're all about it too so whatever these guys want for colors you know we're, we're all about it we have uh, a new black micron backing coming out this year um you know a lot more black reels on on the market today and man they look super slick with the black backing what about glow-in-the-dark backing is that possible oh that is possible it's a good idea maybe we'll do that next year
1: <laughs> i need to get i used to fish in the dark so often i
2: just yeah, night fishing you know even if you're you know night fishing on the bridges down in isla Morado with a fly rod maybe a glow-in-the-dark backing um yeah that that'd be that'd be pretty neat at least just to see it on your reel at night yeah um Whether you're night fishing for yeah browns or uh, whatever the species you're after. All
1: right. Any line questions I should have asked that I didn't? Oh man, there's probably a million. Um, What are some FAQs you get just you know at the booth that shows?
2: You know, the biggest thing is uh, just like the weights of fly line, the grain weights of fly lines. Um, You know, years ago, all lines used to be made AFMA standard at 30 feet. Um, As rods progressed, they became faster, you know, a little bit heavier fly line, but still called a five weight was kind of needed. And it's kind of all over the map now as far as what lines are what grain weight, although they're rated as a four or a five or a six. It's just... You know we do a really nice job of listing our grain weights at 30 feet uh for all of our lines and uh listen some lines uh you know your five weight six weight seven weight streamer lines They really require a little bit more grain uh, grain weight to load up the rod in close to turn over a bigger fly versus, let's say, a true line size on a 3 or a 4 or 5 weight to deliver a small size 20 Trico. There's just different uses, different applications for both, and it might be the same exact rod that you're using. Um, So it's going to vary, and, uh, you know, it's it's— we really try to do a good job to give the the customer and the angler every bit of information on that line and to help them make that decision. But uh, we're always happy to answer those questions. But yeah, that's probably one of the bigger ones is, you know, should I put a six weight on my five weight to load it up? Uh, should I put a five on my four to load it up a little more? Uh, should I keep a five weight on my five weight? And it's just, it, it's really going to depend on what you're doing, uh, what you're going after, the flies you're throwing and the rod you have. So it's, uh, you know, it's its a challenge even matching some, some lines up with rods or rods up with lines, but uh, everyone's doing a much better job at, at helping the customer out. Uh,
1: just the more information provided, the better. I like it. What about the welded loop sort of uh, revolution that those are all integrated now? Back in the day, you'd have to – like I've got clients will show up and they'll have the little metal pin in the tip of their fly line with the leader. And then there was the Chinese finger traps. Yep. Is the welded loop going to be the the longstanding tradition or invention that we're going to see for a couple more generations? Or do you think somebody will come up with (laughs) –
2: yeah, I Someone think else. the welded loop is definitely here to stay. Coming up with something extremely durable that holds together for a really long time is is you know going to be nice to see over the next coming years. Uh, it's something that we pride ourselves on making strong, durable loops. You know, the braided mono leader loops; those are really nice. They're they're a little tricky to put on if you're not used to it. Um, a nail knot or a uni knot with with the butt section leader does just fine as well. But uh, the the welded loops man, they're just super convenient. Um, If you're changing out leaders and you got a loop leader, uh, you got sink tips, the welded loops are, they're really nice to have. You know, the biggest thing is you know what what you're using them for you know a lot of the times uh like in the european some of the lake market that we we sell to uh the welded loops those guys are attaching a really thin tippet right off the sink tips and uh they prefer to have a braided mono loop on there uh because the tippet doesn't cut into the jacket material as much as it would a fly line welded loop so the braided mono loops they have their place Um, those little rings that you were talking about, I haven't seen those in quite some time, but they're pretty cool when they existed, but yeah, well, the loops are here to stay and they're only going to get better, uh, from this
1: day on. It's always amazing. It's always amazing to me when a client will show up with their gear and have me take a look at it. And I'm like, wow, I've not seen that in a long time. And usually it's when I see that little pin. Yeah. Those Who came up with that idea. I don't know where you can get them, but they're pretty neat.
2: They are convenient. Uh, they're not great for floatability. It does expose the, uh, the the core on the fly line when you when you do that, um, so that that does get damaged over time. But the welded loops, they're just uh, man, they're here to stay, and and I love them. They're super convenient, and I know a lot of people appreciate them on the fly lines.
1: Now, so we've already mentioned the clear line. What about the people that swear that fish in certain locations? require a certain color line you know you you just cater to what people want you're like yeah man if you want that you know
2: there there is some truth to that and and really a lot of it really depends on the your your backdrop too you know it it, certain certain scenarios certain species do require certain things whether it's a high-vis orange line to see it uh whether it's a clear line so they don't see it you know i know uh the, the new zealand fisheries really appreciate those more natural mute colors olives and and tans and whatnot um you'd be hard pressed to find an orange line slinging around over there uh versus you know some of the western fisheries in the rockies uh a lot of guys prefer orange lines the fish just darn not as spooky uh they want to see their lines so it just varies from uh you know place to place country to country i know the delaware river down here the fish are you know real spooky They're real smart a lot of guys like real natural olive moss colored fly lines and uh it just it, it really depends on on where you're going and what you're fishing for what's uh, needed and wanted All
1: Right. i think that's it for my line questions you want to talk about some of your leader material that you guys came out with last year or so yeah ultra got, uh, premium yeah, we
2: got a couple uh, great leader material products we've come out. The ultra premium fluorocarbon tippet, being one of them, that 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 stuff has just been incredible for us. Um, you know, it's it's a fluorocarbon that has a little bit more forgiving stretch to it than most. Um, it's a little more supple than most. It's not as wiry. It has uh, kind of a dual layered finish to it. A little harder jacket for abrasion resistance with a little softer core, so the knots seat much better. That's uh, there's just there's there's so much I can say about that tip. It's just done so well, you know, especially in the finer sizes, the five, the six, the seven and the eight X for dry fly fishing and euro nymphing. Um, you know, with the nymphing, you're, you're going to be down in the rocks. You're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of debris down there. So that tippet's done extremely well holding up um, as far as abrasion resistance and right down to the knot strength with the real fine tip it's with the 6 the 7 and the 8x um you know is is awesome and then right all the way up through you know the 0 the 1 the 2 for streamer fishing i use it for steelhead fishing for salmon fishing um that that stuff's been great comes in uh 30 yard spools and 100 yard spools and we recently added the uh 01 02 and 03 x sizes so even bigger stronger than the 0x so very cool. uh, looking forward to that this year and then um could you use that for butt material? Yeah, you could. Um it's expensive. It's it's super clear. It's a pure fluorocarbon. Um I prefer to use it as bite guard where it really matters, both as the fish seeing your line and not seeing your line you know, and then abrasion resistance with teeth and debris and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's it's a little thin for butt section. You know, I think uh, the 03 is uh, 13, 14 thousandths of an inch, somewhere in there. So that's still pretty thin for butt section.
1: Um, but for bite guard, like I said, in tippet sections, it's, it's awesome. What about, it might be expensive, but uh, for weed guards where you don't want fish to see mono weed guards, that's absolutely a possibility. That's a good idea, too. Um, you know, a lot
2: of those weed guard, mono weed guards, uh, you know, mono isn't as, as, as clear as the, the fluorocarbon that we offer. Um, yeah, if that's the case, then that would be a good idea, especially in those larger sizes. Right. Do you guys still make the rim fly reels? We don't. Um, those have come and gone. I forget when those were discontinued. I think a little bit before my time. Um, however, we just introduced a new reel this year called the Crown Series Reel. It comes in a 3.5 and a 5.7. Uh, those retail for 189 and $199. Um, but those are brand new. We'll introduce those uh, over the next couple months here. And then at IFTD out in uh, Denver.
1: Out in Denver, yep. Yeah, so I was supposed to go to Denver this week and uh big client group this weekend so no denver for me probably won't make it to iftd either well i'll let you know all about it after it's over i'll see the pictures i'll have fomo looking on instagram there you go yeah yeah i still got two old rim flies yeah.
2: yeah, those are great. You know, a lot of they're they're super durable. I, I still bump into a bunch of guys on the river sometimes that uh they still have those rim flies too. I've been uh, fishing
1: mine for 30 years. Yeah, we sold a lot of them over the years. Yeah. We still have my rod in the box. Boat two of them actually. Really? Still have my Cortland rods. <laughs> the tips don't match up cuz I uh, neglected to take my rod off the roof of a car and we drove off once and someone ran it over and the Park ranger said, you guys look like your fishermen. Did one of you lose a rod? She brought me the splinter tip, and I don't even know if I had to send anything in or just a check, but I got a new tip in the in the mail. They don't match, but I don't care. Hey, this was, everyone, everyone needs a beater rod. Yeah, this know? was 95.
0: Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Where
1: well, we had one guy. It was a spring break senior year. We did it chill. We went camping. One guy sat on shore and just ate mushrooms while the other two of us fished. And it was interesting. It <laughs> was uh, poured rain the whole time, so we had to drive into town to eat because we, we couldn't have any fires or anything because it poured. I don't even know if we caught any trout. Where was, was that? That was Elizabeth's Furnace. It's an old smelting place out in the Shenandoahs near Front Royal, Virginia. Okay. Because of that smelter, there's chunks of man-made obsidian just all over the place. You just find these chunks of sharp glass like rock. And yeah, it's not too far from the Shenandoah River. I don't know why we ended up going there. But it was a good time. It was like the last camp out before we graduated. Sure. And that one guy loved He just sat there crisscross applesauce and just watched us fishing i don't no idea what was going on in his head but he looked happy <laughs> uh, so you guys also have a
2: series of rods yes sir we have two series of rods we have our mk2 series uh that comes in a 10 foot 2 an 11 foot 2 a ten and a half three 3 and an 11 foot 3 in the nymph series and then we offer a Ten foot six, seven, and eight weight, more of an all around and uh, lake fishing style rods, and then we have the new Nymph series fly rods this year, uh, which are offered in a ten and a half two, a ten and a half three, and a ten and a half four weight, um, and those will retail for two ninety nine ninety five. And we'll be introducing those over the next couple months, and again at IFTD coming up here at Denver. When will those be on the market in shops? So those should hit uh, in late fall yep those uh we're, we're really looking forward to those and uh, you know yeah and the best part is they balance extremely well with the new reels and that's one of the biggest questions we get here with the euro nymphing stuff is what reel do i buy to balance my rod so we made sure that uh you know the new rods they they offer a down locking reel seat and that these reels we really dialed them in to balance so you know, for, for around 500 bucks, you're going to have a matching reel and a matching rod that balances perfect. So that was a, you know, one of the biggest questions we get here
1: on a daily basis with the Euro stuff. So you can get a rod reel line set up all altogether for less than per expensive high end rod that might be out there.
2: Yeah, nice. rod and reel for about 500 bucks man and you're, you're really not gonna beat these this this setup it's uh it's awesome we, we like I said we used our team all over the country as far as redoing these rods uh, and uh, we're, we're just really looking forward to doing it uh, again you know the euro nymphing stuff is really taking off it's here to stay and uh, guys are always just looking for something better I think they're really gonna like this one
1: very cool do you do a lot of euro nymphing? did you
2: say do- you you, I, I it, but... do, you know, and, uh, that's actually how I, uh, really started, uh, hardcore trout fishing here at Cortland was Euro fishing. I didn't even know what an indicator of bobber was until like a couple years ago. I was like, I got to try this like indicator thing. This looks kind of fun too. So I actually started really heavily, uh, with the Euro stuff right off the bat. And, uh, I love it. You know, it transitions to a lot of different other things, jigging streamers. Um, you know, that whole setup is just ideal for catching fish. And uh, it, it can be implemented anywhere uh, that trout exist on rivers, you know, whether in the Rockies, uh, Eastern United States, Europe, it, you know, grayling in Alaska, it doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's a fun way to fish. And if you like catching a lot of fish, I highly suggest getting into it.
1: Yeah, there's no real water types around here where I would have utilized that by now. That's why I've never gotten into it. I'm doing warm water lakes and ponds mostly, and yep. shad fishing in the river. Yeah, where the closest not. Uh, uh, where did i go uh how close are you to maryland yeah not far like the gunpowder yeah
2: that's the last place i fished in maryland was on the gunpowder euro nymphing is uh it's perfect for the gunpowder that river is set up uh really nicely for that style and
1: technique and uh what a cool place to fish too i love it there yeah we had we've had a podcast earlier that i'd still have not gotten the um uh, the urge to go up there it's not that far but having, you know, a place in Colorado, I like to do my trout fishing out there. Sure. Which is, for sure. I'm very angry. If you could see my face right now, How my wife's packing all this stuff for her and my daughter to go out and I'm staying. Well, we'll meet at the gunpowder someday. Yeah. It's not that far. Traffic no. sucks. But right now it's August. With right. Congress being out. It's super easy. There's so many. Everyone's either on vacation or just not on the roads right now. And it's so much easier to get around. Yeah, we have a, uh, a great shop in Arlington, Virginia.
2: Uh, Richie, Richie. Saw Richie at, last uh, night? There you go, at District Angling. So, uh, yeah, I'm down there a little bit. And, uh, you know, also the uh, backwater angler up there uh, by the gunpowder. So I'm familiar with the traffic troubles that you have.
1: Yeah, it, Richie's near the Italian store, and we're out of our bolognese salt. It's just this herb <laughs> sea salt. It's awesome. But I'm like, man. Like, do I want to battle traffic for a $5 shaker of salt? Well, you get to go see him and yeah. shoot, shoot the breeze in the in the shop. And then we can park our Xterras next to each other. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so I've got some non-fishing questions. Well, there are fishing questions we'll ask now. Uh, okay. So the non non non-Cortland specific questions, uh, if you had a superhero power to make you a better angler, what would you choose? Hmm... Uh, and have, have you watched The Boys on Amazon yet? I have not. You start that tonight. It's I have a, a t- superhero show, but it's not about superheroes. I have a two and a half year old daughter. It's mostly Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and Dora the Explorer yeah. at my house. Uh, a, a great kids show. The only one I endorse was Ben and Holly's Little Kingdom. <laughs> it's funny, man. If I had a super, if
2: I had one super pod, I'd say it's uh, probably predicting the weather. If, is that is that good enough? That would work. Yeah. Because uh, that's the biggest thing that dictates where I go, when I go, and how I do it. And uh, as a fisherman, man, if I could predict the weather, or foresee what's coming, I don't think anything's going to
1: beat that. The wind is something I despise. If I could have turned off the wind yesterday when my wife and I were out on the Potomac, oh, it would have been – there were white caps. See, if Potomac. I could
2: predict the weather, then I would just avoid the windy days. Yeah. And I would do something different, you know?
1: What's your favorite piece of modern fly fishing gear?
2: Favorite piece of
1: modern fly fishing gear. Man, I have to
2: say our ultra premium fluorocarbon tippet. The fish I've landed on that and the fish that uh, we get pictures of from all over the world. uh, That stuff is just incredible. I mean, you just you can't beat it. I've gotten into some hairy situations with log jams, with big fish, uh, really light tippet and big fish. Um, stuff's just incredible, and I've put more fish in the net because of that. I, I, I definitely have to go with that ultra premium fluorocarbon. It's just, it's been perfect for what I do, and it seems like it's perfect for everybody else, too.
1: Right on. Do you have any superstitions when you're on a fishing trip?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, more superstitions hunting i'm a big bow hunter and i get weird about like wearing the same hat or doing different hats but fishing um i just try to roll with you know roll with what's given whether it's weather flows wind fish um yeah no superstitions i get them bad with hunting but not fishing
1: okay if you had your own personal groundhog day you woke up every day and it was the same place to fish where would you choose god
2: uh that's an awesome question um you know what i'd have to say the delaware river in this in the like june when everything's like lush and green and the mayflies are just pouring off and the fish are happy and the weather's nice you just can't beat being down on on the delaware system when it's nice and uh most of the days, it does seem like Groundhog's Day with the fog that comes off that river. You can't tell who, what, what day you're fishing anymore. But it's like Brigadoon. Yeah, I mean, if I could retire right now, I'd move down there and fish every damn day. That place is it's incredible. And the people are awesome. I, I just love it down
1: there. What's the worst place you've ever fished? The worst place I've ever fished? Oh, man.
2: It's such a tough question. The worst, I I don't think I've had many, I've had bad experiences uh, at places, but the worst place I've ever fished, I just, I don't even know if I can answer that. I'm pretty lucky. I've, I haven't had, I haven't had any. They've all been pretty
1: good. When is it okay to pose with a fly rod on your shoulder for a grip and grin?
2: You know, if you're new to the sport and it looks cool to you, man, that's cool. Um, if you're goofing around and you want to show off your new rod and reel and your buddy puts on his shoulder, that's cool too. I, a lot of people get get into that stuff and and I do whatever makes you happy.
1: All right. Do you have a favorite fly fishing book or author?
2: Ooh, You know, I really like uh, stuff Angelo Peluso does. You might not know him, but he's a saltwater guy in the Long Island Sound he writes really cool stuff and uh some of it's about his recent trips some of it's some like mystery type stuff out in the ocean but uh angelo Plusso's he's he's pretty dialed in do
1: you have any fly fishing pet peeves uh pet peeves uh yeah is is stocking one of them yeah
2: man can, can i say that they're yeah.
1: stocking the rivers here with smallmouth i'm like that's a non-native species so you'll Everyone's up in arms about snakeheads ending up here, but you're okay with smallmouth being put in? Yeah, I'm. am a big
2: anti-stocking guy, um, and mostly it has to do with trout fishing. I could go on for hours about this, but it's just lack of education, you know, both in the you know the people that are doing it and the people that prefer it. I just I think stockings a, a giant waste of money and it's you know wild trout are it's a species that just can't support itself when you take them and there's a reason why you only get one buck tag a year because if everyone was shooting five six bucks a year we'd have to stop start stocking deer and that would sound stupid wouldn't it so we don't
1: need that in northern virginia
2: yeah so it's just you know stocking trout like i get it I'm, i'm i'm okay with stocking trout where they don't exist um but putting stock trout over a wild fishery and not adjusting the laws as far as the, 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 the keeping of the fish. It's, uh, it's something that's got to change and uh, it's got to change quickly. Montana is doing it right. Uh, people prefer to go to Montana because they don't stock trout out there. And it's it's something that could take off everywhere. And I think it's just a giant waste of money, but uh, I'm sure I'll
1: get some kickback from that. But that's that's just really how I feel. My father in law only fishes for stocked trout in lakes and reservoirs in Colorado and he wonders why every one of them tastes the same. I'm like, Well, they're kind of all just genetic reproductions of each other. Yeah, and you know, stuff like that. I could
2: care less about stock ponds and whatnot and, and reservoirs, but the the stocking
1: over wild trout
2: fisheries and rivers is... Of, uh,
1: when they over compete with the natives.
2: It's it's brutal. It's it's just gotta come to an end soon. Um and it, luckily, there's is a lot more awareness about it, and there's a lot more people talking about it. And, you know, my generation um, is, all, is all about, um, you know, trying to fix that, and it's really nice to see.
1: If you had a time machine to travel back in time and fish with any angler, who would you try to travel back in time with, or someone that's alive now? Any angler?
2: Um...
1: Man, probably just my dad.
2: Uh, we got to fish a lot together when I was young, but I just want to go back and, and do it more. Um, it's tough getting them down the banks sometimes now. But uh, yeah, I'd love to travel back. Man, when I was growing up, he used to tell me stories about this fishery and that fishery and how good they were and how many fish there were. And uh, just seems like none of these fisheries are the same as what they used to back, you know, in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, come into play about why that is whether it's pollution or overfishing and whatnot but yeah if I could go back to you know the way things were back in the 50s and 60s and 70s with my old man um that'd be pretty cool
1: right on what's the strangest thing you've ever found on the river or a lake or while you're fishing uh man I was nymphing this
2: fast heavy run like three years ago it was like early december just started snowing it was quiet there was nobody around and uh i like saw something in the bottom of a creek and it was like pale like kind of small and as i got closer it it literally looked like a dead baby until i got close and i realized it was a it was a naked doll on the bottom of the stream
1: oh my god and uh yeah. yeah, that happened was, to us with a, a turkey in a safeway shopping bag once there you go under a bridge and we basically shot uh you know who's gonna go get it and and i was the one and i was like oh my gosh oh my there's a there's a baby in that bag and yeah. it was a just turkey it was it was bad and i went home right after that I, it just it messed me <sighs> up uh and but, as a parent too that kind of stuff even troubles you more
2: yeah, you know, I think that was like right around the time my wife was pregnant too. It was like 2 or 3 years ago
1: and it just I don't know what I was thinking about, but uh yeah, I blazed home right after that. <laughs> and doll babies can be pretty creepy. You're going to find out. You're going to have naked doll babies all over the place soon. No, you we don't already, already. Do I, got them I guess
2: I got 3 in my truck right now. Oh my gosh.
1: Does your daughter draw on them? Or is that Uh no, she draws on the steps up to the down to the
2: basement. That's she's she's drawing on the hardwood floors right now on the walls. So
1: we're getting by we're getting past that though. Oh my gosh. I kid they're so destructive. My kid threw a bagel this morning. And I was like, make your own lunch. Yeah. He throws bagels. My daughter's pretty calm. I'm I'm lucky so far. Man, yeah. my kid be Jekyll and Hyde. I don't know what I did this morning to throw her off. <laughs> uh, uh, what item in your fishing gear if you'd left it home on a trip would just totally screw you. My glasses
2: my polarized glasses if i don't those are the first thing that go on my head when i wake up in the morning
1: what's your brand of choice
2: uh you know i don't really have a brand although i use these like 20 dollar flying fisherman glasses you ever heard of that brand they like sell them at like walmart or something man they had this like amber tint to them this like yellow tint to them i wore them for five years they were insane and uh and one day, my wife bought, like, a pair of Costas uh, for Christmas, and uh, they looked like they were more kind of offshore lenses, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like these, but last year, I started wearing them, and I pride myself on my sight fishing. I grew up sight fishing, and uh, the stuff I can see with these new Costa lenses is, is just insane, and... That they've been on my head for about 18 months now, and I'm just never going to take them off. They're super durable. They don't have a scratch on them. I beat my gear up on a daily basis. Like I said, they're on my head every single day. But if I left home without them, I'd, just, I'd, probably, I'd either go buy a pair or I'd just go home. Um, but fishing without polarized lenses,
1: especially these new ones that I have, I uh, just can't do it. And never let liquid potpourri get on your sunglasses. Is that not good? I couldn't figure out where the smell was coming from. We were hiking the Salmon River a couple of years ago. And then I realized that potpourri thing had leaked all over my Costa case and absorbed into the glasses. I thought the guys were spraying me or doing something like a, a joke. You know, I'd sit down and they would squirt potpourri on, on the back of my head or something. I couldn't. And the more I would walk, the stronger the smell got. My goodness, it was awful. And it took me a while to figure it out. Yeah, one day I was eating a sub and my glasses were around my neck
2: and I went back out to the creek after I got done eating my sandwich and I put my glasses on, mm. but I didn't realize a giant piece of lettuce with a chunk of mayo landed in my lens. Uh, so when I put my lens back on, I just coated my face in mayo and uh, trying to get mayo off a pair of polarized fishing glasses is oh, extremely extremely hard, especially with like a dry fit shirt that doesn't soak it up. Um, that was a, that was a tough afternoon.
1: Yeah, I've had that often. That's a problem. Not even just fishing; just out and about, I'm always getting food in there. I, they need, <laughs> Costa needs to make a like a a tray or a bib for their glasses when they're around the neck. I guess yeah. I could just swing them on the back of my neck when I eat. I'm just yeah. I'm I'm a mess when I eat, so I just don't even pay attention until I put my lenses back on. But agree. Speaking of food, you put ketchup or mustard on your hot dogs.
2: Mustard always.
1: All right. Uh, what would you tell your younger self about getting older? Even though you're a young whippersnapper.
2: Oh man. Save your money. <laughs> Don't buy stupid shit growing up. Save your money
1: when you really need it. What's your favorite Harrison Ford movie? Uh Clear and Present Danger. Nice. Does your hometown have any urban legends? No, my hometown's tiny. There's nothing urban about that place. <laughs> Do you have any irrational phobias? I don't. And if you had a time machine to either go back in time and see a band, what would you choose? Led Zeppelin. And what about if you go back in time and see an athlete in their prime? Um, Maybe Jim Brown. Big Jim Brown. Jim Brown. He was a lacrosse player at Syracuse, oh. too. I was yeah. thinking about the football player. That too. But he okay. did lacrosse. He was like an all-American lacrosse. He was the man. All right. Where are you going to eat after a good day on the water? If you got a famous favorite spot. Anybody of water. Any body of water.
2: Uh, my favorite. One of my favorite is Long Doggers. That's down in Florida. They have a few locations. If I'm on the east coast of Florida, Long Doggers is great used to be this bar across from the Shawhawk and boat launch on the Delaware called Lydia's. It's since changed its names, but they got a chicken sandwich in there. That's to die for. Um, you know, any place that's got like good food and a bar. I like to have a cocktail after a long day on the water. And I like to just bullshit with other guys. So any place that's like cool,
1: chill, got food and beer and some
2: cool people there.
1: I- I'm there. Let's say you do end up coming over to our place when you're in town. What's your drink of choice? Uh, in the mornings, I like spicy Bloody Marys until about, like, 1, 2 o'clock. And then uh, I, I like Tito's and lemonade. Right, we do uh, vodka, lemonade, and then we muddle cucumbers and mint from the garden right now. And we have an uh, old-fashioned crushed ice machine. That is good. I'll that send sounds, you the recipe. We got sounds, it online. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Cucumbers give me the hiccups, though, so I'm all on those. Oh, well, I don't know yeah, why. They're, burp, they're called burpless. Cucumbers.
2: Oh, there you go. So I'm in. All right. I'm yeah. in.
1: Yeah. I thought my mother-in-law with her, you know, my in-laws don't really speak very well English or, or at all. And she was saying they planted burpless cucumbers. And I, I thought she nice. was, because they legit. mistake words for other things all the time. I could not figure out what she was talking about. And then I finally saw at Home Depot, the pack of burpless cucumbers. Yeah, it's legit. And,
2: you know, the other, you know, when I get up at the Salmon River there, a long day of salmon fishing that new lodge they got up there, the tailwater lodge. They, uh, they make, a, they make a killer onion rings and Moscow mules. Okay. And, uh, sitting up there at the bar. I I love it, man. Everyone's just, everyone's great up there. Yeah. Those onion rings were
1: freaking awesome. Yeah. They got those dialed in. Yeah. I had one more question. What was I going to ask you? It was about, Oh yeah. Are, uh, the coworkers pointing at you and like, what is that guy doing over there today?
2: Yeah, uh, young kid in customer service walked by and made a super funny face because, I mean, I'm just blurting out stuff like mustard and Moscow mules and because they, they don't they, hear me. Yeah, they can't hear you, so they think I'm like going crazy over here. But it's, it's it's normal. I'm usually loud at my desk. I'm just a loud person. So, actually, it's look they they probably think it's just a normal day over here.
1: <laughs> How many employees do you have?
2: Uh, we have uh, about ten here in the office, and then we have about twenty in the plant. Um on any given day. Do you guys have a softball team? You know we used to we used to have a softball team, we used to have a basketball team, we used to have a golf team, we used to have, I mean this place was uh crazy back in the day you know when they made a lot more different sporting goods on the braiders and whatnot but yeah we used to have all those i got pictures of the old Cortland line basketball team with like leon chandler and people in it um everyone here is way too out of shape to be playing basketball right
1: now if we could have like a golf team we'd be terrible but that's about is the extent of uh, the athletic ability here i want to get a neighborhood softball team going because we got a a dad in the neighborhood that used to play minor league for 10 years for the houston astros he would clean up on the pitching yeah none of us here
2: we've you know our our peak days have passed us in high school and and college everyone here is just happy to be a fisherman at this point
1: (laughs) where can listeners find out more about courtland and who's doing your social media because there's always the twitter feeds awesome
2: yeah. So we have a team that does, uh, our social media, uh, Matt Rush, Ryan Edwards, and a couple other guys here at the office. Um, you know, you can check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, our website is killer. Uh, you guys should all go check us out there at www.courtlandline.com. Um, if you have any questions, you can always email us at info at Um, we got a killer staff here. Everyone's super fishy. We're happy to help. Um, You know, and you can always give us a shout too. Uh, We're we're, we're happy to talk fishing.
1: Right on. Well, Brooks, I thank you for your time this morning. And I'm going to go do a little rain dance outside. We got some clouds rolling in. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me
2: on. And uh, you I look forward to hopefully we can do this again. Talk about more cocktails and Well, let me ask you this. What do you prefer on your hamburger, mustard
1: or ketchup? I don't really do either of those on a burger. I like good mayo. I I wish tartar sauce was more available. Oof. That's a good one. Yeah. My wife used to make this Old Bay Remoulade for burgers. (laughs) But we're going to do, because we got the Traeger, so we're going to do pimento cheese burger soon. I
2: got one of those too. They're
1: incredible. It It changed the way we cook. Me too. It's unbelievable. I, our food bill is insane my wife won't stop buying crazy foods to put on that damn grill all the time. We were basically vegetarians. We ate chicken thighs once a week maybe, and now it's nuts. Yeah, I, I put some uh, some salmon my buddy gave
2: me from Lake Ontario on the smoker the other day. He made smoked salmon. Um, I got a nice bluefin tuna in New Jersey two weeks ago. We cooked that on there. That, that just, man— I love cooking food now. It's like my it's like my hobby. It, the word game changer
1: is a, an understatement for what it's done to us.
2: It's overused, but not for that. Yeah.
1: Give uh, Remick a Smothers a, a plug here with his trigger grills. Absolutely, Remick. You're, <laughs> he was getting some uh, some shout outs from the crowd at beer tie last night. Good. One of his old coworkers was there. Good. He's He's some get good it. Remick stories. All right. Well, thank you, Brooks. You got it. And you man. can Anytime. go tell everyone in the office they can listen to this soon and we'll find out what you were talking about with ketchup mustard and all these other strange things they were hearing. Oh, Jesus. All right, bud. Right on, dude. So Hopefully I'll see time. you uh, maybe this fall I'll try and stop in on the way north. I'll be here. All right, dude. Thank you. Right, later, bud. See ya. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.